On today's episode, Dave interviews actor Mick Napier. Mick is the co-owner of Chicago's Annoyance Theater, a director at Second City, and author of Improvise, seen from the inside out. On location at the Annoyance Theater, I'm Ian Foley, this is ADD Comedy. The number of people who have grown up to like the contemporary improvisation, American improvisational scene, that now it's, you know, you see people improvising all the time. I mean, right. On Tuesdays, we have Noah here and TJ and, you know, all, all these people that are probably nearing 50. Right. Right. But at the time, it was really a weird thing to see. So, like, that guy's. Well, the idea that you've got. Uh, oh, oh, Dell, the very fact that, that we know who Dell is. Yeah. And there's a generation that is probably over at I.O. Who doesn't, who doesn't know who Dell is? I run into people all the time that have, been, you know, have no idea. Right. Who have no idea. And I think Dell would be okay with that. I think he'd be fine with that. I right. Mean, yeah. He was rather mysterious and aloof when he was here. So. Right. He doesn't right. mind that. Do you remember him making you cry? No, did he? Yeah. Was it in a class? Yes. Was it at the beginning of a scene when I said something? Uh, I can't remember when it was, but I remember he went off on you so he did. hard. And is and it true the next week I did really well and he set me up as an example of yes. goodness? Yes. That's exactly what happened. I remember that. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I remember the line I said. What at did the, you say? At the top of the scene where he. I think it was something like, your mother has been a boil in my ass long enough, or something like that. <laughs> um, I, I do uh -huh. remember him going off on me. Uh -huh. um, and I learned some stuff from Dell, but I learned some stuff from Dell. I know, I understand. Yeah. Because I know, I'm sure that people do the same thing to you that they did with me. It's like, what was that like? What was he like? Yeah. And I remember that is one of the first, those are one of the first three, three things that come to my head. Yeah. That story. And I remember him going off on, like, yelling at women and yelling at men and yeah. saying, get the fuck off my stage, turkey. Yeah, um, I remember that. So after I go through those things, then I also remember things like him, and I've mentioned this, I think, in the podcast before, getting in front of the class and saying, what books are people reading right now? Yeah. And knowing every fucking author that you're talking about. I remember that, and then I remember him talking about the book he's reading for two hours. Right. And then letting right. you improvise a scene. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to look back. And I, you know, was in Honor Finnegan, so I had the experience of being directed by him as well. You were in Honor Finnegan. Uh-huh. I forgot about that. I was really young when I was, you know, getting into that. So it was very scary for me to be involved with that, because that was a lot of the Bear and Bears Barracudas guys. Right, exactly. Um, and that was uh, Ken Mark Johnson. And that was, uh, that was a scary kind of a scary time for me to be involved with that. Um, but it was interesting to watch Dell direct and all that behavior, plus, you know, given everything I'd heard about him and everything. Right. I don't know if Dell was, like, the way that I teach and the way that you teach is certainly different and maybe influenced by other people. Uh, I definitely think that, that it's probably more affirming the way that you and I teach. Yes. And if I made someone cry, I would go away and cry for at least a good week. <laughs> that, that would make me feel absolutely horrible. But haven't you made people cry? I have, but yeah. certainly not, not on purpose or anything. No. I think the majority, and I'm not saying this to be flippant, and I don't mean to say, because I certainly am, am not insensitive to it, but very often someone will be primed to cry before I absolutely. do something. And there's nothing that I'm doing. And I will, t I will if the crying is something that I feel is, is, is sobbing, is near sobbing, yeah. we will stop and we will, and that person and I will regroup. Yes. 
and we're all better off for that experience having happened. I got you. Yeah, when I direct, I'm very, very careful about that too, because that can get very psychotic and personalities can clash and strangeness can right. emerge, you know? Right. Um, right. And then there's Jackie Hoffman, who just cries. And oh, Jesus, we were just talking about that. We were just, Sherilyn and I were talking about that. I don't know, we were just talking about that. It's like, oh, she would occasionally just, like, merely cries, and then it fits fine. <laughs> it's fine. But we were talking about the game that we used to play, Make Jackie Cry, yeah. and Allman would always win, because he would go, um, how's your mom? <laughs> and she would just cry. Yeah. Because that would make her cry. It helped that she's probably like one of the top five funniest people I've ever met in my entire fucking life. It's crazy. Life. It's crazy. She's and it just insanely and, funny. And, and it's this outwardly, an outward, a, a, a shell of someone who looks like they're, um, they're uh, that you have to uh, be gentle with them. Yeah. But internally, she fucking knows exactly what the fuck she's doing. Oh my gosh, yeah. And she plays hard too, which I love. She really plays she's hard. She's vicious and wicked. And so fucking vicious. Yeah, it's and great. she has seen, she has said some of the meanest things to people I've ever heard people say. Yeah. Like going, oh my God, what the fuck did you just say to that person? Completely. And everybody has a Jackie Hoffman story. Yeah. But she's always been kind to me. Oh, me too. I mean, we, we have a great mutual respect for each other. Right. She's really awesome. Yeah. Um, makes me laugh. I've never seen her on Broadway. Oh yeah, I did see her on Broadway. I saw her after Broadway. I saw her, I saw her in Xanadu. Did you? Yeah. That's great. That must have been fun. It was really fun. It was a I great cast. To, I met with, there's a bar, there's McManus's in New York, which yes. I'm aware of, but I think there's another improv bar. Do you know the name of it? There's a bunch that I've been Is to. Is there? Well, I met, Jennifer and I met Jackie after one of her shows, and we were walking in Manhattan and stopped in a bar, just a bar, and we're sitting in a booth, and over um, maybe 20, 30 feet away, there's a group of people at the bar, and I couldn't hear anything they were saying at all, nothing. But I said to Jennifer and Jackie, those people over there, those are, that's a group of improvisers over there, and I could not hear one word they were saying, not a word. But I could just tell, for some odd reason, that scares me, that their behavior they were improvisers. And Jackie said, no, they're not. And Jennifer said, I don't think they are. And I said, I believe they are. And sure as fuck, I go to the bathroom. Someone comes, this girl comes out of the bathroom and says, are you McMahon here? You know, can I introduce you to my improv friends? I think, fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> that scared me that you can just kind of tell. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. We've, but we've been around so much of that that there's an intuitiveness to that and to other things too. I, I, I look at, uh, when, I, uh, when I think about what is it that I've learned through improvisation, it's I could tell, or through directing as much as I direct and, and teaching as much as I, I teach, is I could look at somebody and tell immediately if they're bullshitting me. Oh yeah, I could imagine, I can too. Yeah, where you go right now, ev you have every indication that you're not telling me the truth. Because I've seen your counterpart improvise the non-truth on stage. Oh, completely. I mean, there's the, the, the accumulation of behavioral patterns just... Right. And you're, you're watching improvisation, but you're also watching the manifestation of that person's physical being on stage. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So you start to clock right. different subconscious right. and universal patterns of people. And that's behavior. the beauty of it, is to allow ourselves to look at those, the, everything, the physicality that you're talking about, all those things, the gestalt yeah. that's around that thing, the aura around that person in that moment of going, something is wonderfully off balance yeah. about what you're doing right now. Yeah. 
and your wonderful off-balancedness is causing you to not improvise right now. It's causing you to work right now. And I'm going to tell you one thing, and that's going to turn you around. And the one thing is this. What are you feeling right now? What are you feeling right now? What the fuck are you feeling right the fuck now? And I've had arguments with Gelman when, I was, when he was my teacher, Michael oh Gelman. Oh, my God. I had my, so many arguments with Michael. Oh. I just saw him the other day. We get along really well. Mm-hmm. Um, we always have. I think that all, I think you have too. Oh, I know. He's he's he's. A, if I was going to say there was a mentor, it would be Michael. Yeah. Well, I think that you you really clicked with Michael and yeah. and him. But yeah, I used to argue with him too. I used to love that he entertained arguing with, you know, with people as well. Oh, his and his arguing was for me. It was always him just sitting back, going, "Yeah, is that what you think? How's that working out for you?" Like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a huge argument with him in one of my level three classes, level two, when he was my teacher in that, I don't remember which one of those classes, and him saying, you know, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but he'll say, what is it that your character wants right now? And I said, this is what my character wants. Michael will go, that's not what your character wants. I said, no, Michael, that's what my, what my character wants. He goes, that's not what you want. I said, I think I know what I want. He goes, yeah, that's not what you want. And then we had this big argument, and he started laughing and smoking a cigarette and putting a cigarette on his coffee and going, that's not what you want. I'm like, God damn it. And then literally 20 years later, I was asking a student, what is it that they want in that scene? And they said, that's what they wanted. And I went, that's not what you wanted. And it took me 20 years to get that note that Michael Gelman, Gelman gave me back then. You know? And to look at those things and go, I remember that argument. I remember what that argument was about. That's funny. That's wild. I think I probably was... A little more influenced by Martin, I think, yeah. in a way. But I can believe we were closer in, in, in the way that we approach improvisation, look at it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think I'm, I think I'm a little more evil than Martin was, mm-hmm. and I don't look at... I think this might be a difference between you and I, too, in a way, is that uh, I don't, I've really come to not bring improvisation to like a life empowerment kind of thing. Right. For me, it is an... Ex- extremely disparate clinical, tangible skill set that is related to performing on a raised platform. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the way that I shop at Trader Joe's. Is that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or to look at any part of life. Yeah, or date. I mean, I don't know. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's easy. And I've taught a lot of corporate work with improvisation in mind. And speaking of bullshitting, like I've gone through many iterations of making that a real and valuable experience for people. Because it's so easy to create a light metaphor before uh, between an improvisational construct and a and a business acumen or something. Right. You know, machine is just like the divisions of your company and how they work together. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not gonna do so, that. I'm so not gonna I do have, that. I've always pushed to make that a little more truthful and real for myself. And I get very, very cynical about what skill sets in improvisation are applicable to life skill sets. Right. And, I'm sorry, I just looked at my I have a bag. Did I bring a bag in here? And I suddenly sure. had, oh, there it is. But anyway, life skill sets, because I have this a book in my bag. I have a book in my bag that, that, that is exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I have a book in my bag, and I'm going, where's that bag? Um, and I totally threw that off. But That's okay. The idea of, well, I look at the- One of the skill sets of improvisation is, is listening. <laughs> right, and it's also compulsion. I was compelled to go, where's my fucking bag? Um, <laughs> uh, I understand you, how that. How did you feel when you lost your bag? I, I, um, that I felt happy. Uh, I believe you. Oh, you fucker. Oh, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> 
for some reason, something happened when I went, I, I, I crossed over into looking at improvisation, uh, look at the, the surrender that comes with improvisation. At that moment, I needed to have that surrender in my life. And the moment that those two things connected to each other, then I started to see other strings that were attached to the surrendering that you get to have, the emotional, the, emo, the emotional awareness that you get to have when you're, when you're improvising, and the emotional awareness that you can have in your life that will free you from attachment and all that, uh, free you from attachment and suffering and those kind of things. Did you observe that as a correlation, or do you, like, is there something causal? Do you believe that improvisation helps you or like, uh, navigate through those? Through yes, those it does, but I also feel like um, my, I feel the other way around as well, uh -huh. is both those things are, very, you know, my life and my art are very similar in that yeah. way. So in an improv scene, when something is coming at me, I'll take a look at it, when, and when emotional change happens, I'll take a look at it in that moment and go, what is this? But I'll take that, that sacred pause right there and go, yeah. what is that? And in my life, when something happens, I would normally go, fuck! But I'm, lately, probably over the past eight, nine years, I will stop and go, what is that? Huh. I don't need to engage in that right now. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. It's just the way that I look at it. And in that, that's also what I teach. So that's how, you know, it, and it's, it's worked for me because it's a truth that I have. Got it. Your teaching has taken a real acting slant to it, too, hasn't it? Yeah. It has. How, what are different, I shouldn't be asking you questions. That's okay. No, no. What, are, what are a couple of different ways that's happened or transformed from the way that you and I were learning together when we were learning here? Um, there's, uh, there's an, uh, well, my work that I was doing with the viewpoints, uh, the, uh, are you familiar with the viewpoints? I don't think so. The viewpoints is uh, this woman named Mary Overly. But that reminded me of Michael when you said that, because he used to talk about point of view so much. But this is viewpoints, this is different. So this okay. is one word, viewpoints. Okay. This woman named Mary Overly uh, developed these, she was a dancer and she developed these viewpoints. And the viewpoints is, uh, they've turned into, with a woman named Anne Bogart and Tina Landau, they've turned into nine viewpoints. And it essentially defines everything that you do. Okay. And in that, once you define it, it exists. So whatever it is that you're doing, you're sitting here in that shape, and you're in, it's called a shape, and you're sitting in shape, and you're looking at me like that, and then you get up and you play with your cards, but your cards aren't your cards, they're called architecture, and you're in repetition of playing with your cards, that's something that you do, and as the scene goes, as the scene, as our conversation goes on, you'll either put the cards down, or you'll play them faster or whatever that's going to be. Right. And all of those are indications of your emotional content in that moment. And if you, you should suddenly get up and stand up, that I, have a, that's a, I have a kinesthetic response to you doing that, and then I'm in response to that. Okay. So it's the idea of defining everything that you're doing so that the actor has more of a sense of what their partner is doing on stage. Is viewpoints and acting like philosophy or discipline, or is it a life discipline that you've applied to acting? It's an acting discipline. Okay. And it's an interesting word because discipline, I don't know that I would call it discipline. I would call it an awareness. Oh, it sounds, like it, it sounds pretty important, like a discipline. Well, if you want to, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I mean, I do know that it's a major part of the Steppenwolf program. Okay. Because um, uh, Tina is a Steppenwolf uh, member. Okay. Uh, so I, I look at that, and yet the, act, the acting that I do, or the teaching and the directing that I do now, has more of an actually slant because I. I was tired of people getting up on stage and doing the fucking naked monkey dance. I get you. I fucking can't handle it. I understand that. So yeah, that's nice. Did that, um, 
But a lot of it has to do with what you're teaching is what you, what, what one of the philosophies that you have, the, the hold on to your shit philosophy. Yeah. The, the take care of yourself and everybody else will take care of you. If I take care of myself, I'm taking care of you. Yeah, I think you can, re I think you can kind of uh, redefine those like with like shirtless, what are you fighting for or super objective and objective and acting and want and all of that. Mm -hmm. I think that they're all married together. It's not the same thing with different shades of, this, of that which allows you to kind of have a roadmap from which to improvise from. Absolutely, and, and also have a connection, have a roadmap, have a, uh, have a, have a dialogue that, to, that, you, that me and my partner have that have nothing to do with anything like getting the, pardon me, getting the game of the scene out because yeah. I, I don't do that and uh, getting your who you want and wear out right away. I don't do that. Yeah, Everything that you're that offering either. me in this moment is an emotional delivery system. So you sitting there in that way, I enter a scene, I look at you in that way, immediately I know what's happening, immediately I can define, I can define what's going on because you're sitting like this makes me feel this way. Gotcha. Well, that's great. I'm, I've certainly been happy departing with exposition, uh, who, what, and where, and all those constructs of premise at the top of an improv scene. And uh, my belief that that you think about it really is prohibitive to you actually doing something. Oh, which fucking A, right? Yeah, you because know, it's like fucking. And, it, I think it's those kinds of behavioral constructs that actually create the naked monkey dance. And right. All, all of the, th those things that you speak of are the reasons that I say the phrase improvisation always different, always the same. <laughs> because it really is. It is. If born from that space, right. it, it does have a sameness of, of pattern by it. Say, sameness of behavior, same, a sameness of comedic constructs, a sameness of relationship labels, and you've seen them as much as I have. Right, and right. They, they can be maddening. They, it really is maddening. Yeah, it is, so. And, uh, and what I love about it being maddening is it has driven, it's driven me toward asking why is that maddening to me. Sure. And in that asking me why is it maddening to me, I have developed a different way of doing things. Yeah, I gotcha. I think that I do that too, and I've kind of infused my teaching with that. Sometimes I will, create a class scenario to alleviate my own boredom from having, and, and what, the consequence, that sounds malicious or something, or devious, but it actually then changes the timbre of the class, changes the behavior of the class, and brings on a different uh, light to the, the improvisation, a different way of doing it, which is usually substantial and funnier. I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. I will look at something and say, uh, if a night before I went to see a show that just fucking irritated the shit out of me, then the next class is, that I teach is going to be about <laughs> and to go, let's do this as much as we can and then break it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to take it and break it. Um, I want to grab so many people by the throat and go, knock it the fuck off. Do you know where you are? Do you know what you're doing right now? Not do you know where you are like you're in a bakery. I don't give a fuck. Do you know what your partner just did? Did you watch them? What did they just do? What the you. fuck did they just do? Because if you can't tell me what they just did, then you're not here. Yep. I mean, there's so many times for my own entertainment, I'll yell, you know, where are they? They're in a graveyard, and I will turn away from them and dig as they're digging, because everyone digs in a graveyard. Just those kind of associations <laughs> that come up. Which I always, think, I always thought was very funny that the universal association with being in a graveyard is that you're going to dig up a body. But it really is. It's like, wow, everybody 
thinks they're going to dig up a body in a graveyard. <laughs> Nobody's sitting underneath, standing underneath the umbrella. I know. Well, I would think mourning might come. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like right. My first right. association. Right. Someone oh, close to me has died is why I'm here. <laughs> Not to rob graves. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're thinking they're robbing. I mean, for me, it's also like just digging up, making sure that everything's okay, and then putting it back. Yeah. Like going, what is that going on? It's also the like, like painting. If there was as much painting being done in real life as there are in improv scenes, <laughs> life would be look very fucking different. And I love the fact that nobody think, opens an yeah. improv fridge without taking out the only thing that could possibly be in there, which is a liquid. Yeah, a can, a liquid, a bottle, you know. You try to get out of caves, you... You, <laughs> you know. don't want to jump out of an airplane, my, and you don't want to go to the dentist. Yes. Like. My favorite, I think, bad scene, which I think I actually wrote about it, is a bowling alley scene where the hand goes up to hold the ball or cleverly goes to the, hair dry, or the uh, air dryer, if you're clever, and then someone bowls, and then they, people look at each other to negotiate whether it's going to be a strike. <laughs> And I am like on my fucking phone checking mail. Like, oh, it's a strike. Very, very good. I see, and I'm thinking, I suggest someone get a ball from the return and do that again a few times. And I'm going to text my niece, which is odd because I don't have a niece, but. No, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I, oh my God! I don't let. I, there are things that I'm not. I don't allow in my scenes. Some are, one is um, uh, no bowling scenes. Uh, you say no bowling. Oh, I say no bowling scenes. I say no bowling scenes. No jumping out of an airplane. No scenes in dentist's office. No scenes in gyms, and no pirates. No pirates. No well, pirates. There you go. Because a pirate, you go arg, and then the fucking scene is done. And I've seen it a million motherfucking times. Now. If you want to do Vikings, cool. Yeah, I'm telling you. I mean, it, it really is. I do an exercise where I actually have people, like, and I, I hate, ugh, I, can I disclaim myself more? I, I really do hate teaching improvisation where I'm asking someone to think of something, then edit that, and then think of something. Right. But there is, there is some stuff I love to do with whatever the first association is given a location change that. So instead of like bowling alley, you're bowling, then bowling alley, suddenly two people are in the, the manager's office of the bowling alley right. and letting Adjacent. someone go or something. Yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that's refreshing. Right. It's amazing to, what little it takes to be interesting in improvisation mm -hmm. and how often that's not visited. Right. And I think it's not visited because those, the majority of people that are teaching it don't think in that way. No, oh, really? I believe that not enough of us are saying, um, what's the place next to that bowling alley? Because we're going, can we get a suggestion? Bowling alley, great, you're in a bowling alley. Oh, I got you, okay. But I need to say, okay, what's next to the bowling alley? Let's start thinking of creatively, what's a creative adjacent space? So you space. guide that a little bit. Exactly. And then that way, I'm teaching them to start, I'm, I'm exposing them to that, uh, to another choice, not mm -hmm. the other choice, another choice, but a choice that is next to the choice that they've already made. So I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying what's next to that. You've come up with a great creation. Just what to open up the brain a bit. Exactly. Yeah. 
And I do that when I improvise. I try to to just associate strange, like non sequitur stuff to get me out of my safe places that I go, or my safe associations, contemporary office scenes. For some odd reason, I don't know why, like in the last decade, I have to fight against me making an association with an animal right away. I, I, I don't know what that means. That means like I, I improvise and reference animals way too much. Is it your veterinary It might be. I never thought of that. Has it come out? Yeah, I mean, it's just odd. Like, it could be anywhere. Like, hardware store, and I'm going to go, well, the, the squirrels are coming. <laughs> Why did I say that? I mean, I have a judgment about it, and I get in my head. So I have to work to get out of Right. Right. I always feel stuff. the way to get out, again, is what's next to that. What is next to that thought? What's adjacent to that thought? That's okay that I and thought that. And for me, it would be like chipmunks. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Those cute little monkeys that fit in your paw. Come on now. Come yeah. on now. The cute little monkeys that fit in your paw. You know, the only improv that I've been doing lately is skin prov. Is so that naked improv? <laughs> Are you totally naked? No, not totally naked. And is it done with all men? Um, yes, it is. We had one woman do it once on her birthday, and it is a friend of yours, and she did not take her clothes off, and it's Ellen Stone King. Oh, yeah, yeah no, Ellen doesn't get naked. No, she doesn't get naked. Does uh, he get a naked adjacent? Yeah. She, sa yeah. she sat on stage fully clothed with a martini as these naked men were I'm talking about did she her. get nearly naked? Not at all. Oh. She, <laughs> I, think, I think she buttoned her shirt and put a scarf on. <laughs> October 2nd, right? Is it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I mean, you and Jack and Brer remembering birthdays. Well, but that's one of the few people that I know their birthday. You're that's in January? Amazing. No, I'm December 12th. Not as close, right? Yeah. Um, well, well, I look at Ellen, and I look, I, I look at... I look at Ellen, I've known Ellen for so long. Yeah, I've known Ellen since 82 or 83. And yeah. look at all that, again, going back to the elder statesman and those sort of things. Like, how much shit has changed Oh, I know, since, it really has. How much shit has fucking changed? Do you remember looking for, going with me, looking for rental places? For what? For rental places, as you're in Metroform? Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. And, and it's my hobby to look for new space. That's I know. what I do for a living, look for new space. I remember you and I, I also remember calling you up and saying, I can't do this Metroform thing. You're on your own. Because I was in the touring company. I got in the touring company. Oh, really? Yeah. Good Lord, but you did do stuff for Metro, with Metroform. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did, but what I'm saying is there was a point where I went, whatever union we have to move forward with Got this, it. I can't do that anymore. Good Lord, I don't I'm remember touring. that. Yeah, I'm touring. Touring. Uh, touring company. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting for me because you've left, so you come back and you see all the, you see anchors of changes, like, you know, landmark changes, and for me it's just kind of morphed. Right. So I don't think I see those changes as much. No. In a way. Well, for me, it, was, it goes back to what you and I were talking about with children, where people are having children, they have a physical marker yeah. of their lives moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I come here and I go, oh, you've got that thing on the wall. Maybe that was there before, that fake brick, I don't know. Yeah. Um, was that always been there? Well, that, that, fake brick. Right, that, isn't that fake brick? Oh, that probably wasn't there, no. Right, okay, so that's something new right there, right? <laughs> right? And that stage is the different color and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But noticing all these things and getting the fucking rocks off on it because so much has changed. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's so much bigger now, isn't it? Yes. In Chicago, it's crazy. It's but universally, it's bigger. Yeah. 
And, and the fact that you've got somebody go, you're McNaper, you're, you're in Manhattan. Uh -huh. And somebody goes, you're, Man, you're McNaper. And you go, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, good, great. Yes. Yeah. But we, those are, that's, those are the relationships that allow us to keep doing this. I don't need to know you all that well. Yeah, and add social media to that. The, just, geez, all the people that have, like read my book and contact me about it, right? Challenge it, or and you have a new book. I do. I wrote it. I need a publisher, but I did write it. It's a very big book about just the concept of innovation when people come back, come together, and create something. Uh huh. And there's many different things, fun or not, that I could think of that might influence that. So I, right. I drew from everything I did in theater. All the teaching I've done, improvisation, um, all the corporate training I've done over the years, mm -hmm. to try to bring all that together. How so big is the book? It's geez, it's like that. Five hundred pages? Four hundred and something. Jesus Christ! Man. I know. I have to. When get did it you down. do them? When did you do that? The last year and a half, when? every day. When? What do you mean? I mean, what time of the day? When oh, did you do it? Seven. I wake up and uh -huh. I fuck around with cards for maybe forty-five minutes, uh -huh. and then I uh, write for an hour or so. It's an hour a day. Yeah, I'd say I'm 45 just minutes for, to Because for me, people say, ask me when I'm going to write the book. And I'm like, I don't know. I hear you. I, it, it's very fucking hard to write a book. Right. And I admire anyone that has done it. Right. And I feel the same way about a movie. Because uh, I made a movie that was not great, but I did make it. And at this point in my life, if someone says to me, I made a movie. And I said, what's it about? And they said, it's about... It's, it's 90 minutes, one camera shot of two mice fucking. I would go, that's amazing. You made, you made a movie, and that's amazing. Right. I would be serious. Right. Right. Because making a movie is impossible to okay. do. Even with all the technology around us, it's still fucking hard. Do you know, so I, I don't know that you know that. that if, how would you know this? But your, you, your movie has inspired other people. And I don't mean to say the, whatever your perceived whatever you think about what happened to your movie. But I watched, I've watched it, did I watch it? Did I watch the movie? I can't remember, I, yes I watched the movie. And I remember you telling me that you wish you had more coverage on that movie. Yeah, completely. And I, and that, that has inspired me in every fucking thing that I've done that has had cameras and improvisers to have oh a fucking, to have a master shot and then when Paul Basie, uh, Carrie's husband, when Paul, he wanted to, to, uh, to, to take a Carrie and me doing some scenes, and we did really great stuff in a car. Yeah. He had one camera, he had another camera, he had a monitor, as we were, and we had a mic in the car. As we were talking, he would move one camera to another spot, yeah. so he would have fucking coverage all over the place. But only because, one of the reasons being, I, I remember you saying, this would have been so much different, because you need something to cut away to. Yeah, it's completely true, especially, I, I was so much more into the philosophy of the process of improvisation at the time that I wanted to hold that so sacred. Right. Um, and I wasn't so concerned with the product that I brought that process on set. Right. And barely rehearsed and then worked it out with this machine called a film production, you know, <laughs> around you while you're improvising. Right. The hit rate for the product, you know, for having the product of that machine around, the hit rate of improvisation decreases significantly. Absolutely. And it's, you know, that's one of the reasons it's difficult to make that translation to television, because we tried that in Exit 57 with Colbert and some of the best improvisers on the fucking planet. Right. And Amy Sedaris and Jody Lennon. And was, um, 
Was Pasquese in that? No, mm -hmm. it, was, it was those uh, guys, Paul Dinello. Mitch? And Mitch was in that. Right, and, Mitch uh, Yeah, so these are really great improvisers, and it's just that the, that machine being around you, 100 people on set, et cetera, it just completely creates such a product mind for the improvisational experience, it makes it so important. The, the, the hit rate for it is very low. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's very hard to do. So I learned that a lot. But coverage, fuck yeah. There were so many hours in editing going, I wish you would just turn that way. Just <laughs> turn. you wishing it doesn't just, make you know, it. <laughs> I'm going I'm to watch it again now. She's going to turn. She's going to turn to her lap and wink, just like she did on that, on that long shot. She's going to turn wink and grab that glass. I think it's no, the she doesn't do that. So. It's the reason I keep watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life and when uh, Billy drops the, the money, uh, uh, you know, uh, in that It's a Wonderful Life, I'm like, he's going to pick it up this time. Yeah. He's going to pick it up this yeah. time, right? He's going to yeah. do that, right? Do. Right? Or in, uh, in The Godfather, I just want to keep going, uh, uh, Fredo, don't talk about you know, don't talk about the deal that you had with this other guy in front of the Al Pacino, uh, Mikey. You know what I'm talking about yeah. that second there? Yeah. I think it's Godfather 2. Um, I knew it was you, Fredo, where you go, no! Oh! <laughs> um, yeah, I get it. I get it. And for that movie, too, it's so funny because I wanted this dolly shot at the lake, and we did shoot it, and it had it had so many people you know in it, of course, and and it was a huge dolly shot that was a one take where it would dolly across all these people and then they would have to run behind this truck to get into a final tableau because the dolly shot ended with all the people you just saw in this dolly shot at the end. Right. And we rehearsed that and rehearsed that and we shot it, it was beautiful and there were different scenarios and different people like sitting at tables and Elsa, the Jack was in a uh, wedding dress and different, different images and stuff and we shot it and we got it done, I looked at it, and I thought, wow, this is really great. It's exactly what I wanted. This has absolutely nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> this makes no fucking sense. This absolutely has nothing to do with this. So I'm then scrambling to justify why that happened. Thank God Eddie Furman gave a good shot at writing something to clarify that. That's really you know. funny. Well, I remember rehearsing a scene with uh, Lynn Pustai and Bob Fisher. Because I was going to cut away during that. Uh, and do I think all these other, like, we never did. We never even yeah. got close to that. No, and did. I think the conceit of that scene was I was showing them an apartment. Jesus. I was the real estate agent showing them an apartment, no and they said, "I really like this place. It's like um, they'll they'll take it." And uh, that really, it was such a it was such a what we do. It's like um, I'm showing. I think Lynn and, and Ed and, and Bob were the were the people, and I was the real estate agent. Like, okay, so this is the apartment right here, and it's the apartment. They went, "Great, we'll take it." I'm like, "Wait, you're really gonna like this?" And then I open up a door, and there's another apartment behind right, a closet okay. door, Jeez. and then there's another apartment, and then it just keeps opening up. It's like we're gonna take it, and it was relentless and awesome. And I thought, there's no way this, this is, is ever going to happen. happen. Yeah, I blew it. You didn't blow it. I didn't see you blow no, it. No, I said I believe it. Oh, you believe it? But okay. I did blow it. I didn't shoot any of those scenes at all. <laughs> when can I see it? Oh, that scene? Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's in the editing room. <laughs> you know what is funny? Jennifer uh, and I just got rid of our... Uh, editing system from when I edited Fatty Drives the Bus, when mm -hmm. Jennifer edited it. And I think this would be fun for anyone listening. This was an editing system we brought 18 years ago. 
and it was a competitor for Avid when Avid was first coming out. It was one of the first nonlinear digital editing systems, and it was called a Media 100. And I think they're still in existence, but not so prevalent. Uh, we bought a Mac 9500 computer, and it had a one gigabyte hard drive in it. We bought a nine gigabyte hard drive, and the nine gigabyte hard drive was about a foot wide, a foot deep, and about six inches tall. It cost a million dollars? And we bought the software. So we had the computer, the nine gigabyte external hard drive, and the software 18 years ago, and we financed that for $43,000. <laughs> and then that year, we bought an additional nine gigabytes of hard drive for $3,200. Now just recently, Jennifer came home and she threw a flash drive down on the table that was four gigabytes that she got free from a bank promotion. <laughs> <laughs> so just yesterday, we took all of that equipment and we took it to a recycling center and got rid of it, and it was $43,000. But I got so much use out of it. Oh, you and did? And so much from it. Oh my right. gosh, yeah, I mean, right. the, the stuff that I did on that right. was great. All my right. animation. And well, I remember Katie and I buying a laptop uh, probably around that same time or the time before that. That cost $5,300. Yeah, it's insane. I like, $5,300? I know. What it's could crazy. possibly cost And now I make movies on my phone. And <laughs> <laughs> With, I have four editing systems on my phone. I really do. It's insane. Do you have an iPad? I do have an iPad. I love it. I love my iPad so much. I, just I love, love it, it so too. much. It's a. It's in between work and a toy. Exactly. It's no like, one needs one. I'm telling you. <laughs> no one needs one. No one needs one. No one needs one. But Apple, I do. man. Apple's like okay. We have small things. We have large things. We need like a medium to small, medium thing. And then yeah. we make a medium thing. And then we it's, make a small, it's a medium work thing. thing. Right. It's a play thing or right. something in between. I stopped watching the shades TV. of gray and the ability for them. It's amazing. I I, I bought an iMac this year that I just fucking love. It's mm -hmm. the huge thing, and yeah. it's just I love it. I, I mean, got it, one upstairs. It's really nice. It changes. It changed. Well, we talk about social media, and I know, are you, do you do a lot of it or no? I do. I, I do. Uh, I do. I have like a lot of Facebook friends, and I kind of that's turned into a professional thing because people contact me through that. Right. That's mine too. Mine and too. you know, kind of, kind of a drag. Face, Facebook's like you know the part-time job you never asked for, kind of. Right. And it's it's okay. And then I have Quibbit. Quibbit.com is the place where I throw a bunch of minute videos. Oh, yes, I've seen yours. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen your and stuff there. silly yeah. stuff. And then I have a Tumblr page for Quibbit and a, a MySpace page. And Do you I, spend... I still love MySpace, by the way. They have a great music player on there. Uh -huh. and, uh, Justin Timberlake just put like $30 million into it to revamp it. So now you there's MySpace do, on the new MySpace. I see you, the music that you do, this is really creepy too. I see the music that you do, it comes in my feed for Spotify. Oh, right, yeah. And I watch that. Yeah, I love new bands. Like that's, uh, yeah. that's a big hobby of mine. I think that, that's music. exciting to me because I feel, I, I mean, for me, music is so inspiring yeah. me to do other things. I love it. I get real, I actually got in a big argument with a couple that was about my age and they're 50s, I'm 50. and. They were talking about how music sucks now, and I'm and I'm like, music does not suck now. Music is amazing now. Right. And the bands, the new bands that are in the world right now producing music is beautiful music. 
and fuck you. Right. You know, and then I go to Lollapalooza and I listen to the cars. They're there and I'm embarrassed that I ever fucking sleep <laughs> off. Boy, this is my generation of music. They're called the cars. Aren't they good? <laughs> right. I think what also, is, what also is happening right now is people are making music who weren't able to make. People are disseminating their music because the media because media allows them to disseminate their music. I don't mean. I, I don't so. mean. I, what I'm saying is it's so fucking easy. Yeah. On your when you could get GarageBand on your iPad. Yeah. And you plug it into your iPhone. Which has a place for you to plug, you know, mm -hmm. a, a synthesizer into it. Sure. And you're fucking done. Yeah, I have Nano Studio, and that's a little synthesizer on my right. phone and iPad. And I'm, I, I really get excited about because whenever we we unveil one of these episodes here, um, uh, we just got a Facebook page, so I'll put. I'll, I'll say we're, we we release this episode, and then I'll be able to go online and take whatever the guest is and find uh, YouTube videos that they said or quote mm -hmm. that they had, and to be able to have it so that anybody who's watching it and wants to know about Maz Jabrani can look at this and know he did a TED talk and he referenced this thing here, That's and that, and it it has nothing to do with us. Yeah. It, only in that we're, we're, we're information delivery uh, enablers. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it really is. Um, I, I've been on the internet forever. We had, I think, The Annoyance was the very first theater website in Chicago. And my first web page was, well, first of all, I was on the internet. Blah! Can I keep going backwards? There's a guy that you know um, that used to improvise here. <coughs> with Rich Fulcher and Phil Gronsky yeah, uh -huh, and right, uh, right. his name was Dick Costello right. and Dick Costello got me on the internet because I heard that he heard about it. <laughs> this was like 1989-1990. Right. We used to go to a place on Sheffield and put a 20 bucks under a guy's door and he had servers in his closet <laughs> and Dick Costello <laughs> has gone on to sell I think five internet companies and now is the CEO of Twitter. Yes, he's the CEO of Twitter. Yeah, he's like my favorite like celebrity from the annoyance. Did you hear him speak <laughs> at the Ann Arbor? Yeah, uh, that's right. It's a beautiful thing. It was really he's beautiful. Great. He also speaks well of improvisation. He really, and he, and he speaks well of improvisation, and he uh, speaks eloquently he of does. improvisation. I like Dick so much. Yeah, he, he's really kept his shit together, and he has such a good, funny spirit about him, and an yeah. innovative spirit about him. And we know him. a lot of people that are like that. Yeah, and and those are the people that I keep looking at and listening to. And there's certain people that I go, I need to, I need to surrender our relationship because you are no longer, you are those women and that couple that says music isn't what it used to be, which yeah. is really true. But it's also so what. Music oh my is God. this now. And music's beautiful now. Right. And Jeez. the fact is nobody this, took yeah. away your music in order for me to have this music right now. Absolutely. If you like yeah. Montavani just because I'm into Mackleford, whatever is it? Macklemore? Macklemore. Uh, doesn't take, I like Mackleford too, though. It's Mackleford. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's a dealership in Hinsdale, Mackleford. Yeah, you can go to Mackleford and get a rebate on your Ford. <laughs> I've only heard of Tackleford, where you can get bait? fishing bait, and please <laughs> shoot me in the head. <laughs> so I was on the internet before you could click on anything. Well, I remember Brett Scott. Yes. Uh, who got who who helped us buy the fifty five hundred dollar laptop? 
helping the main stage cast put together a my laptop, hooking it up to a to a <laughs> modem, and then we hooked it up to a huge television set, yep. and we brought it out on the main stage, uh -huh. and we hooked it up to this thing called AOL, yes. and we asked for suggestions so the audience would watch us get suggestions, because this is what you did. That's what you did. And uh, it took 15 minutes for us to hook it up in front of an audience waiting, and then we hooked it up, and we said, who has suggestions, and no one knew, no one was what on AOL. Hell? Yeah, no one no, knew, no one was on AOL. Absolutely. I think it's a bad idea. It's amazing. I did a, like, for Paradigm Lost, a show I directed at Second City, I did, I guess, one of the first blogs, but I called it a journal because I didn't know the word blog. There was no blog. Because it didn't there, was, there wasn't a word that was like that. And it was, it gave me, a, it actually afforded me a little bit of a, an advantage that I don't think I'd have now in that a lot of the people on the main stage weren't on the internet. Mm -hmm. So oh. I was very, I mean, I was very careful to not disrespect anyone, mm -hmm. and I liked everyone in the cast and stuff, so I treated that professionally um, anyway, but I did, I, they were, they would have been affected if they had read along, you know, that kind of measurement would have affected the process in a weird way, so. In some way, you know. Yeah, and but it was also being shot by HMS Video as a right. documentary at the same time, so it was really being measured in a lot of different ways anyway. And. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Oh, thanks. I was really proud of that show. God, Nick, it was such a great show. I was so I mean, proud of that. It was a good cast. and It was such a good cast. And the scenes there are just so profound and lovely. They are. You know, and Jenna was beautiful in that. Yeah. And uh, Dratch was so lovely in that. She was and, fun. And, and Zulovic was great. And Tina was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, 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 Kevin Dorff. Um, and that's it. And that's it. One of my favorite things about that show is that, and I don't think like you would notice it when you see it, but you, you know, as a director, you probably don't want to have in a sketch show three two-person relationship scenes with the same two people mm -hmm. that are different. Mm -hmm. It's hard to reconcile that or justify it. But I did that with Tina and Scott. I did three two-person scenes, and one of them I hid early on in the show, knowing you kind of forget about, it. and the other one I put them together so they were just declared as it's as a big piece. And I was really just proud of them What's stuff that, like that. The scene with the folding of the laundry? It was YMCA and yeah. stripper, yeah. Yeah, and, and that. Mm -hmm. uh, I called it folding of laundry. Who knows why? Uh, that's a beautiful scene. Yeah, I was because, really proud of the scene. They were great in it. Well, looking again at that, uh, it just, uh, that cast was full of actors. That cast was full of actors, yeah. I think, I think Zulovic and, and Dratch were coming into their acting during that as well. Right. Um, yeah. Was that, this, was that the, this is not an improvised scene, the NPR scene? That was improvised, but, I mean, it, was but it was so structured right. that it was, it was like plug and play kind of component improvisation. I was Everyone talking to, knew their function ahead of time, et cetera. Right, 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 right. Um, because I was talking to Dino Stamatopoulos about that. I was talking to Dino. Do you remember Dino? Oh, when, yeah. Dino when Dino and Andy would do stuff at the Compl Annoyance? Oh, at, at the, annoyance at the Roxy. At the Roxy. Yeah. I remember that one. That was not, I was doing stand-up at the Roxy. Right. People I need to talk more about the Roxy, by the way. I love the Roxy. Yeah, that me was too. a great feeling. Me too. Uh, my, I had one of my, some of my best experiences there, and I had the worst experience of my life on stage there, and that was the second, boy, talk about meta Mick Napier fucking up. Like, God, that's ironic that I'm meta about that. Or is it more <laughs> ironic that I'm meta about what I just 
please kill if me. If you keep metaing, you're going to come back to. I decided that my second stand-up experience would be talking about how one gets the second time blues during the second experience of doing stand-up. I succeeded. I completely succeeded. And the more I talked about it, the more it, the more it happened, more. And it was horrible. I could not fucking talk my way out of that to save my life. How much stand-up did you do? I did it for a couple of years off and on. Yeah? Yeah. I enjoyed doing it. It was, you know, boy, stand-up is excruciating, though. Yeah. It is so hard. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and I look at people that I know that are just such successful stand-ups who have, I look at someone like Tim Meadows. Yeah. You know, who went from not stand, from improvisation translation. to, right, and not many people can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And Tim found quite a, kind of a, demeanor, a good point of view and a good angle for it, I think, that fits his personality. Right. Because you have to really find your voice with stand-up in a different way than you do as like a comedic sketch actor or an improvisational actor. But it still comes from you. It does. It right. does. You just have to kind of get a little angle on it, I think. Right. Right. And, and as you keep doing it, there's probably also that draw of like, oh, that really worked or that was not, that didn't work, but I know what the fuck to do next time because mm -hmm. that's when it worked like the next time. And to look at all that stuff. Uh, I, I did it once at the Clout Club. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and it was very along the time that we had that too, yeah. seance that uh, Pasquazi yeah. uh, directed. Fuck yeah, I remember that. That was uh, that was like the genesis of Metroform, mm -hmm. where it was just different groups of people doing different kind of improv right. forms all the time. Right, right. And David did that amazing seance that was so just. I met, I talk about that all the time. I said very memorable. One evening. One evening. And he did that, and it was brilliant. And, and, and everybody was so fucking into it. We were into it as if it were a real seance. I think you kind of get into that stuff. And I think I've that, noticed that from you know Jennifer and I do mentalism. We yes. have a mentalism act. And as much as you joke about it, the second you start, the second like you can fucking talk about how stupid it is all day long, but the second you just say something like, "Okay, I want you to close your eyes," <laughs> people, people just do it. Like, oh. Wow, this is real. There are spirits among us. I am now behaving as if there are spirits among us. It's really amazing. We just snap into that mode. Right, because we really want to believe it. I guess we so. really want to believe it. I, I, mean, for a moment, I remember doing that, going to the seance and thinking, maybe he can do that. He was really believable. He was really believable. He was really, really believable. It's scary. I, 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 because I'm here and I'm talking to, to, to Howard, to Kim Howard Johnson, I'm talking to Cheryl Sloan, I'm talking to you uh, here in Chicago, because I haven't mentioned that I'm in Chicago. Um, so much shit is coming, is, is dredging, uh, is coming up uh, to the surface. And the things that are coming up to the surface are things like what we were talking about earlier, and that's the idea of how far we've come and not only that, but where we were when we started. And I don't mean to say the, 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 we're so young and we didn't know, but we didn't know what we were doing back then. And there was yet this feeling of we can motherfucking do anything. Yeah, completely. Uh, do, you, do you feel like there's a deficit of that now among younger people doing this? No, everybody's entitled to that feeling. Yeah, I think so too. And at that moment, the, the thing, I, I, for me, the, the, the wonderful thing about that is I can codify it by saying there was Second City, there was Improv Olympic, yeah. there was Players Workshop, 
I'm sure there was some. Oh, Improv Institute a little Improv later Institute, on. Yep. Um, and that pretty that much it. is it. That was it, yeah. And then when you go, to, and in New York, there was Gotham City Limits, which I think they did a little bit of improv. Chicago City Limits. Chicago, right? pardon me, Chicago City yep. Limits, mm -hmm. right? And they had um, Dudley Riggs, Brave New Workshop, which yep. again, Brave New Workshop later. And in, and maybe in San Francisco, you had, I don't think you had bats then. Yeah, I don't think so. But it makes me wonder how long Improv Asylum has been in Boston, too. I don't even know. Right, I don't know. They seemed younger to me, but they there might was, be. But look at that. We've got a handful. We had a handful. So, the, so for me, there's 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 um, a metric. So yes, I can look at it and say there was that wonderful thing that we had at that moment, and there was hardly anybody doing it. Yeah, it's it's crazy now. It really is. Well, you and I, and other people, but we're in this room right now, and and Ian uh, Foley. Uh, you and I, this has helped us find our voice, and this has helped us pay our bills, and this has helped us, you know, financially to yeah, do all that. it has. And that has never been, that wasn't something that people did. It was damn near impossible to kind of find that, find that way. Even if you, even if you were a teacher, there weren't uh, the festival right. to go to, et cetera, which I don't go to too many festivals. Um, but there, you know, there weren't, there wasn't all that back then. Well, but you have this space here. I do. I do have the annoyance. Right. And, and, uh, and what I'm saying is the reason that's one of the reasons you don't go to the festival is because you're here. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. Right. Um, I'm always just so immersed in what I'm doing in Chicago. It's kind of, it's hard to get away a bit. Right. Uh, yeah. It is so insane that, like I said earlier, it's hard for me to realize because it's just grown around me, but I'm sure for you to come back, it's like, what the hell? But it's not just that. I mean, certainly this has grown around, like like being able to, to uh, I, I, I'm, I'm teaching a class uh, tomorrow at a space, I don't even know where the fuck it is. I saw mm -hmm. it online, and it's like, well, I, I could teach there. And it's great, Studio B, it's a nice Studio space B. over I'm, by the Vic. I'm excited about that, yeah. and they're really nice over there. So there's that, but it's also, I was just in San Francisco, and I'm going to Denver, and mm -hmm. all these other places that aren't here. I know, and, to, and so for me, again, I look at all that and go, look at all, look at, look at where we've gone. It is insane, and with, with my parallel career at Second City through corporate training and then directing as well, and I know with you a bit as well, it's taken me to Vienna, Stockholm. Uh, Jennifer and I took the annoyance to a Paris Improv Festival, um, and Amsterdam. certainly Amsterdam with right. Boom, with Andrew and John. And yeah, I mean, just all around the world, and then add the ships that Second City has now. And I've been across the ocean with improvisation. And <laughs> right, right, right. All over the place. Man. No one, you couldn't. I would have never been able to travel at all with but all that. But who would even have thought that that would be something? You know, just a magician would go across the ocean yeah. and just keep doing ball and mm -hmm. cup routines. Truly. But, and the, and the work that you directed that, because of the internet, people are able to look at that over and over yep. again, be inspired by mm -hmm. that, and, the, and that piece that you did for your, your journal. Yep. <laughs> um, people are able to look at that, even though it is in your book, like that sort of stuff. And, and, and Googling, and, 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 and YouTube, and Vimeo, and yep. all that stuff. We live in a fucking amazing That's time. Crazy. There's a very, there's a very funny, uh, there's a very funny dude that I want to meet someday. He's a Scottish political activist. <laughs> Very big on like Middle Eastern affairs, etc. Um, and I friended, I wanted to friend him on Facebook, and it took him at least three months to to friend me. And his name is Mick Napier. And 
<laughs> He's very serious guy. He's probably 60. A hugely devoted political activist. And that poor thing, like, does a Google search and comes up with me fucking doing some retarded, like, bullshit from grass. <laughs> some idiotic video. And I've always felt so bad for this guy. <laughs> but he finally accepted my friendship on Facebook. And I really... Would love to meet him and maybe apologize to him someday <laughs> for my stupid bullshit. And the fact that, like, no matter what he does, he can't get his numbers up so that when his name comes up, he come when he googles his name, he comes up and not your grab ass show. Oh my, oh god, my god, retarded stuff. Oh my god, that's awesome. No, it's fun. We're done. That has been a blast. Thank you so much. Really. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy Podcast for Dave Rosowski. I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.